Ain't nobody listening to this shit. Welcome to the Beyond Our Service podcast, where two veterans with wives and kids pretend to know what they're doing in life. We look at the good, bad, and ugly and laugh our way through it all. So come join us as we go beyond our service. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Beyond Our Service. This is Zergenta edition, and we are here to talk about the book, 8020 Sales and Marketing, The Definitive Guide to Working Less and Making More by Perry Marshall. Uh, this uh, and we are here with Nash and Brian, uh, our two main guys. Not cousin Brian, who's on the other show, the main show. There's lots of Brian's, and then um, and then David is out of town, so he cannot make it this time around. So we took a little hiatus for a couple months, and now we are back and I'm gonna get this thing rolling. And real quick, before we go on to the book, I just want to give a special thank you. And to highlight the Finnish long drink, the legend of 1952. Long drink, if you have not heard of it, you are behind the times, my friend, because they are, uh, it's a beverage that is amazing. It is actually uh, gin with natural grapefruit and juniper berry flavors with carbonation, of course. Uh, they've got one, the one I am drinking right now is the Strong Citrus. It's in a black can. These bad boys are 8.5% alcohol. If you haven't yet, go to your local liquor store, and if they don't have it, request it. And I know they can be found at Total Wine and most liquor stores, uh, even some of the smaller ones around here. Uh, North Texas, most of them are going to carry it. So, boys, what did you guys think of the book? Brian, you go first. Okay, well, I I, I picked this book. Yes, you did. uh, I don't say that. (laughs) Proudly, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, it wasn't. About, I don't say that because it was a bad book. I didn't think it was a bad book. Um, I, I thought it was really interesting. I uh, got some good takeaways. Uh, you know, it's called the eighty twenty sales and marketing uh, book. It's based on the Pareto principle by Italian economist Bill Fredo Pareto, which you've all heard, right? Twenty percent of the people own eighty percent of the wealth. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's been applied to a lot of other things. But, you know, the, the key point of this book is basically that 80-20 applies to everything, everything in the world. Uh, 80% of your sales come from 20% of your customers, uh, 20% of the people and buy 80% of the shoes in the world, uh, 20% of the people own 80% of the domain names, uh, 80% of your sales are made by 20% of your salespeople. 80% of traffic is on 20% of the roads. And, and he gives all this, all this, all these examples to back up his thesis, which is 80-20 doesn't just apply to wealth distribution. It applies to everything. And, um, and I thought that was pretty interesting. I mean, I'd heard the principle and I certainly heard it in the workforce, right? 80, right. Uh, 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work, but uh, you know, with all the data that he gives to show that it applies to everything, that, that was kind of a big takeaway for me and uh, one that I thought was, was really interesting. Okay. Nash? Yeah, it's great. I don't know. So the, this one just reminded me a lot of uh, like the one thing. So no, we both read that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, have yeah. you read that one? 
I have read the one thing, not for this uh, show, but yeah. I read it uh, on, on my own in yeah, my previously. extracurricular reading. Yeah. It, it just reminded me a lot of that book in the sense of <clears throat> one singular thesis repeated again and again and again and again. And it's not <laughs> one that like, I, the thesis is a good one and it makes a lot of sense. And it's one that's like, it's, it's an important lesson. It's just like, I feel like it could have been knocked out in you know, a page long bullet points rather than, you know, 200 pages. Or mm-hmm. how, how long was this book? It's more than 200 pages. Was it? Now that I look at that one, I definitely read a different book. Really? Yeah. I read a cock book. You read a cock book? Yeah. Cock book or Coke. It was about Coke. Coach. Oh. No, the, the author. This is you a forward by book? yeah. I read the wrong book. It's a, it's a forward by Richard Koch, author of yes. the bestsellers Eighty Twenty Principle and the Eighty Twenty Individual. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one I read. <laughs> what a dumbass! Right, well, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how you think that book compares to this one. It's going to be great that when David hears that, because he's going to be like, "You guys had waited for Nash who read the wrong book on a day that he missed it." Uh, yes, you're welcome. At least we don't have to see his ginger face. So we, uh, all right. So my takeaway was, uh, kind of the very similar as y'all's. I, I did not, I wasn't blown away. I think there's some definitely it's, I mean, it's got some interesting stuff in it. It's got some ideas, some concepts, and I've got a couple of them that I'll talk about, but, uh, for the most part, I agree. I don't know that it's worth 220 pages. Um, I definitely thought at chapter 15 and I believe it's 17, if if you're wanting to do like a cliff notes, I'd probably maybe just read those two chapters. I yeah. thought those were really good. And obviously like chapter like one just to get the feel for it. But um, yeah. I really like those two chapters. Even me and Renee talked about them because uh, one of them is more about um, like delegating and hiring off uh, like just your kind of the time, the cost of money kind of thing. He talks about, he calls it giving yourself a raise, but only doing the stuff that you're worth doing. But he even brought it in like housework, which I kind of, I had thought about with me, but I didn't really think about like, um, like even your wife, he's like, what could your, could your wife be doing something instead of cleaning the house? Like that's a $10 an hour thing. Like, what is she good at? Could she be like personal assisting you? Could she be doing all these different things that maybe is worth more her time, even like with kids? I mean, just, I don't know. He just kind of went into everything. So I thought that was pretty good. But uh, so, uh, what, let's dig. Let's dig a little deeper there, Stephen. What's Renee really good at that you'd like her to spend more time on? Um, I feel like she is really good at cooking, and she's really good at cleaning and giving me love. Let's keep this PG. No, uh, yeah, no. I, I mean, I think she should. She, she needs a hobby, and um, she's gonna quit working. Um come March this is tomorrow's her last shift as a nurse and she's gonna take a break she and I do think she's gonna come help and work for me is kind of a marketing role part-time and help me just organize some of that stuff because I'm terrible at it so um that was one of the things we talked about I said well what if I just got you because some of the stuff she's like well you know as a mom she's got this and that and the kids sports and all the things and all the stuff cleaning the house doing the laundry I was like what if we paid someone to just come do all the laundry knock all that out and clean the house like once a week like what could you, how much, what else hours. could you do? Yeah. Yeah. Like, freeze up four hours a week. Right. Like, is that something you would want to do? And then you could just come work for that day and then you don't have to worry about mm-hmm. like working and then coming back home, working for my office and then coming back home and realizing that you still have all that crap to do. So, 
and give, give you more love with that. And then giving me more love. Well, we've talked about that previously, <laughs> just about like the delegating stuff out of what, what's your free time worth? I mean, even it means if you're not even leveraging that time to do something else dollar productive, what's just having time off that you're mm-hmm. not having to do something. For me, that's like yard work. I hate yard work. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'll pay somebody, you know, 30 bucks a week to come mow the yard because that just frees up an hour and a half to two hours of my time that I can go do whatever else I want. Like right. That, and to me, that is worth the hourly cost that that would, you know, break out to be. So, 100%. And I think that's something that I agree with you on, um, even if it's not dollar productive, something that for, because like our Saturdays and Sundays are just so, are getting busier and busier with kids' sports. So now we've got, we're about to have baseball and volleyball all on Saturday. And so it's like, man, I don't want to do all, like, then, but if I want to go to church or even if I don't want to go to church and just want to spend time with just family and just sitting at the house with each other, like what value do you put worth, that time? Like, like yeah, it's like, worth paying someone yeah. to do my lawn, all the chores that we kind of save up for Sunday or whatever free day we have. Because damn, I mean, man, the weekdays, the kids got here right before you did and because of gymnastics and everything. And like, it's just, it's yeah. like, get, get here, eat, do some chores and go to bed. Like, Boom, just yeah. like that for everybody. Yeah. So I'll see you for 30 minutes tonight. Great, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, Brian, are you like reorganizing your closet right now? <laughs> <laughs> he's leveraging he that time. He's, yeah, he's giving he that 80 20 right now. <laughs> he plagiarized that from another podcast. No, I dropped my phone under the desk and had to dig under there. And take oh my it God. Out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to count that as one of my ahas, one of my things. Um, oh, it's a dog. Okay. Here's, one of the, uh, here's one of the ones I thought was interesting. And this is where, you know, everybody's heard the 80-20 rule, and the fact that he says it applies to everything is kind of taking it up a notch. But then the fact that he said it applies to itself, right? So within, within the 80-20, uh, 80% of the 80% is produced by – 20% of the 20%. So this is, a, it's, it's exponential, right? So for the, for the example of like traffic on highways, you know, 20% of the roads that get 80% of the traffic, those 20% of the roads get 80% of the traffic within that. So it, when you run the math out, basically 64% of the traffic is on 4% of the roads. So the, the idea that this 80, 20 rule applies over and over and over and we can hone it down this, and yeah, this keep, hockey stick yeah, just yeah. keep doing keep, it over keep going and down and yeah, almost further infinitely. And further. yeah yeah i do think it's cool that he has a on in the book he has a part of his website um he has like a calculator that shows yes. that yeah and i thought that was pretty cool because interesting it, it shows like um and only any like you pick something like for you nash like as a real estate agent like if there's, I think his example, Brian, was his example um, like sports or the Super Bowl or something? He, he used a lot of examples. One was Super Bowl tickets. Like, you know, most people that go to a game will will spend, you know, 500 bucks on a ticket or whatever. But he even took it backwards to a lot of people who don't even pay to go to a game. They're, they'll sit on their couch and produce, you know, 50 cents worth of revenue for for the enterprise based on buying a product that was advertised, but some people will spend, you know, a hundred thousand dollars on a suite. And that's the 20% of the 20% of the 20%. And that's who you have to identify in your business to, to mm-hmm. leverage this concept. And 
I thought the example was really interesting. He used of Starbucks. He says, you know, Starbucks, most people go in and buy a five or six dollar, maybe a ten dollar product, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's the 80%. But then they also sell a $275 espresso machine in Starbucks. And 20% of the people buy will buy that. And then they up next to it, they'll sell an espresso machine that costs $2,700. And 20% of the 20%. Well, actually buy that. And and that was, I thought, one of the most interesting things because I'm one who, hey, I don't even go to Starbucks, but the times I have, I see that sitting there for sale and I'm like, who the hell would ever buy that and why would they buy it here? Yeah. But, you know, he explains that and it, it I thought it made a lot of sense. Yeah, I thought it was, it, so the, the calculator I'm showing Nate, I'm having to show Nash the book itself um, because he didn't write the, read the right one, but it's, it kind of goes in this. They listen to the audible anyway, so I wouldn't see the, the, the graph. The calculator this. just shows like you can put stuff in, and it, he explains how to do it. Like what what numbers your data you have to put in, then it'll spit out like yeah, what's like the most a dollar amount. One eighty twenty power curve shows if forty people would spend fifty dollars, seventy two people would spend thirty. Yeah, and so then you put it in yeah. in his little calculator, and it's like, oh well, you could get one person to spend up to you know. Well, whatever. yeah, it kind of shows yeah, one person might spend six fifty. Yeah, on whatever that yeah. widget is. And yeah. so that was cool. That was interesting. <laughs> All right, yeah, Nash. And the question is, do, do you have a product for that customer? You know, that's kind of yeah. the takeaway. If like, if you're not realizing, if this isn't your experience, is it because you don't have the products that those customers are willing to buy? Right. Well, and I would go a different direction with that rather than, you know, widget for how much is somebody going to spend. And more go pumpkin patch. What was it? The, the what book did we read a ball back? The, the pumpkin, the, the pumpkin patch. Mm-hmm. And I think of more that way of okay, I could spend you know all my time on my entire database of past clients, or I could hone in on that top ten percent of clients mm-hmm. who really you know there might be you know my fifty rank fiftieth past client might give me one referral a year or maybe one referral every two years. I might have that top 10 clients who will give me five referrals, six, seven, eight referrals every year. So how mm-hmm. do you, you know, recognize that and go, this is who I really need to be spending my time on. And this is who I need to cultivate, not to say ignore those others, but really put again, 80% of your time on that, the top of, of your, your database. Um, so no, I, I think that's that. I like that calculator. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. So, uh, Nash, you said you had one aha from the other book. What, <laughs> what? Honestly, everything you're saying is this, it's, it's the same book. Like, yeah. I think it's just this is applied specifically to business. He goes in. It's a lot of business is all the part that I read. Um, I liked his talking about, you know, realizing entrepreneurs as a whole have a tendency to try to be a jack of all trades and a master mm-hmm. of none thinking that if they're well diversified and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this, especially I, I understand that I like to know a, a little about a lot rather than a lot about a little. And mm-hmm. he was saying, you really need to, to look at that and go, okay, what are your, what's your strongest suit? What, what do you do the best and put 80% of your time, the 80, 20, put 80% of your time into that one facet and then hire for the others because he goes, you can't, you can do all of it and you can be all right at it. He goes, but you're not going to perform to the peak level that you would and see the, see the results. If you would have just focused on that one, the one thing 
that mm-hmm. you're the best at. Well, it's amazing how often we'll see that that principle in all the books that we've yeah. read oh, yeah. this year and or last year, and then even Matthew McConaughey's book. Yeah, I mean, at some point, that's said, a Look, reoccurring. I'm, I'm doing seven things. Okay, let me and you just immediately drop off so I can do three things. Great. Yeah, uh, and so. Yeah, I thought that was that was one of my big takeaways was that this eighty twenty thing applies to how you spend your time, mm-hmm. and you know if I went away with an action item, it's that I need to do a kind of a time inventory of how I spend my time and figure out <clears throat> what is that twenty percent of the things I do that generate eighty percent of my results, and, and how can I spend more time there? I, I actually <clears throat> I heard this guy interviewed on a podcast, and uh, and he and he took it a step farther. He said. He said, I've actually come up with something called a 20-120 rule that applies to how you spend your time. And it basically says that 20% of your activity generates 120% of your results. 20% of your activity actually takes away from your results. Mm. And then the rest makes up the difference. And I thought, wow, you know, I bet that's really true. I bet 20% of the stuff I do is actually doing me more harm, you know, and no good. How can you identify what those things are and, and cut them out? Yeah. I mean, how could you, or hire away for that? Because if that's not your strong suit, you know, if that's <clears throat> data entry or, you know, backend running Excel spreadsheets or whatever that you, you're probably, yeah, you're probably causing yourself more issue than if you just had somebody who excels in that area controlling and doing that because yeah then how much damage are you doing because i can tell you right now i can't i mean i can run an excel spreadsheet in the sense of like columns and rows but if you start to get to like upper level crazy stuff yeah i couldn't tell you how to do that that stuff like that's uh yeah beyond me yeah i remember building an excel spreadsheet and it actually works really well to like track something i did it my first year as an agent it took me like half a day. <laughs> yeah. I and, and probably the skill level that somebody who oh, really knew Excel oh, would have done in like five minutes. They would have like, done that. Oh, yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Here you go. And you're like, oh, wow. And they're, they're like, oh, and I, I added some other tables in yeah. here for you. And like, I made it 20 pages long. And this is This one connects to this one. You're like, oh, yeah, that's yep. way better. Yeah. 10 <laughs> yeah. to 15 minutes, they would have, cr- they would have like tripled what I did in four hours. And, I mean, I was proud of it, but then I kind of looked at it, I'm like, this was such a waste of time. <laughs> I still use it, granted, but I just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, nice. So uh, I would say one of the takeaways, so I, I kind of gravitated and I found a couple that I thought he, there were some more like philosophical, I guess. They weren't directly linked to uh, business, but he kind of talks about leadership stuff too. And I think this is, um, kind of goes into... I mean, it was, so it's on page 40. I don't even know why he talked about it, but he talked about the speed of leaders and he talked about organizations and he said, you know, leaders attitudes and energy, um, basically dictate the, uh, the organization itself and pace of the leader, pace of the team. Yeah. So that's, that's essentially what he's saying. And Again, it really doesn't have anything to do with like the 80-20 side of it. It just kind of spit it out. And I thought, man, that's still, I mean, he's definitely right. So it's basically talking about when the rate, when the leader raises the intensity level, the organization grows. 80-20 is still in force, but you attracted more people and the top performers do more. And, you know, that's that's something that I think is just the attitude, the energy level of the the leader is something I've seen, and how contagious that is. 
um, mm-hmm. in a good way or a bad way. I've seen that throughout my entire life. I've seen it in my own office. I've seen it in other people's offices or other businesses, especially small businesses, because they're just it's easier to kind of feel. Um, but you know, that's something that I've we've had people customers say, like, man, I just like the feel of this office. You guys are awesome. And you've but I've been around it and saw the same thing in the military. You, you still have those guys that just suck the life out of everybody, whether it's their negativity, <laughs> they just no drive, no nothing. You can just tell they're worn out and done. And man, it really just it's amazing how much it affects their employees, their employees' attitudes, the way they talk, the way they carry themselves. It's just, it's insane. Yeah. I, I thought, and to that, carry that a little further, I thought that was one of the interesting takeaways is really thinking about how this applies to your employees. You know, if you, if you carry this, if you, if you figure 20% of your employees account for 80% of your results, right? And then, yeah. 20% of those account for 80% of the results. The, the point he made was that a, a top performer isn't like twice as valuable as an average performer. They're like 10 times as valuable right. as an average performer. And, and so to, you know, to our businesses, Stephen, and probably yours, Nash, you know, the question I asked was, so, you know, are, are we putting a compensation structure in place that allows a top performer to really make what they're worth and therefore give them an incentive to do what they can do. And I think in a lot of cases we don't No, you know, I think we think we're paying, Oh, I'm paying this person 50% more than I'm paying this person. They're taking me to the cleaners. When in reality, if you pay them a lot more, they would do a lot more. Right. I agree. I think it, I think some of that is, especially in our business where the margins are so small per policy um, in the insurance world. And I think that's something that I'm, I've talked to, or I've been actually given a lot of thought up to um, because I'm hiring another person and, and they're just in a different stage of life. So they're not someone that can, I mean, they just, they have some serious money goals, some serious financial goals. And it's like, man, I, I mean, I can get you there, but you know, as I look at our stuff, it might, I'm, you know, it's just, it's going to be a challenge. I'm going to have to change some, I might end up having to change some stuff up, but it's, you know, hopefully, and that's, that's always the catch too. And, and I think that's the catch throughout this whole book is like some of this stuff makes, I mean, all of it makes a ton of sense, but then it's like, well, then how do you accurately identify your, those employees? How do you accurately identify your strengths that are the well, yeah, things what's, you what's need your to skill do? Set? Like, how do you audit that? Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. so that brings me to, uh, what? freaking page is it um i think it's in chapter 17 or 15 i think it might be 15 but the uh i was i'm still i really want to do it but he talks about emailing like five friends that you have that you've known for a really long time and if i can find the freaking page i know it was actually really i think it's a really good idea oh yeah 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 and you ask them basically what your, because I kept thinking, I'm like, man, how do I, I mean, I just don't, like, I try to be as self as aware as I can on how good or bad I, I am at things. But, like, how do you really know it's pay, it's chapter 16. So, basically, you have an assignment for unique capability survey. And you email yes. five friends and five colleagues 
who know you in different ways from different walks of life. So basically just five people. This is the unique capability survey. Choose people who have known you for at least five years. Email them and say, hi, I'm taking Perry Marshall's productive productivity course. Nice course. There you go. Uh, (laughs) You know me well. And one of the assignments is to ask, what is my unique capability? What do I naturally do better than most people? Uh, Please reply back with any thoughts you have. This really means a lot to me. Thanks. But to do it from different walks of life and like different people, I mean, just in our guy, our friends and stuff that me and Nash have grown up with, like, I just think that that would be very interesting to get an honest opinion because especially the group of friends I grew up with, we don't hand out compliments almost ever. (laughs) You have to find people who are going to answer that seriously because it'd be a lot of, well, you're kind of an asshole, and you do that pretty well. And right. you're like, oh, no, no, no. I mean, like, what, what do I actually No, but I mean, well? seriously. Yeah, like, Which, I mean, most of the guys, like, we just don't. That's just how it's our love. To, our love. What is it? Love, love language. language. Because it's, you know, you just don't give. But if I if someone, you know, if someone's being serious, and most of us think the world of each other, we yeah. just... We're just not going to say that all the time. But I don't know. This was That was something I was like, man, I need to do that. And I actually kind of forgot about it when I was reviewing this my notes and stuff what I wanted to do is like, oh, God dang well, it. Well, in, it's interesting to get that perspective of outside looking in because mm-hmm. I think we all have a self-image for better or worse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think for most of it, like, I'm pretty critical of myself. So it's like, oh, what I think I might be good at might be totally different than what somebody else looking at, at me as a person and has known me for a while might say that is a strength exactly yeah. it might be something that you think you suck at yeah and then you're just like oh i'm just never good at blah 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 yeah growing a mustache yeah. and someone's yeah. like dude it's your crazy. mustache is delicious and you're like what for those of you who can't yeah. see him nash has a pretty seven legit legit mustache going right now ron burgundy oh yeah it definitely gives ron burgundy a run for his money <laughs> I did a version of that. It was called a 360 feedback thing. And uh, it was this formalized process where you pick people uh, from various walks who get a, a, you know, an email and they can provide anonymous feedback. And it was really helpful. I got some good feedback. You know, most people, you know, that you see, you're not really probably going to send it to anyone that you hate. Uh, although sure. that might be a good idea, but you know, most people are, are pretty doggone nice. Really. You're, you're, my experience was you're stretching to find some really negative feedback in there because most people are going to be kind of nice and, uh, yeah, and not point. say anything, even though it's anonymous, they don't, you know, they like you, right. Or, or they work with you and they don't want to dog you out too bad. And they don't know that they entirely trust that it's anonymous probably. And, uh, but it's, it was, it was, hammer it was a, you on that. I didn't send it to you. Uh, nor, <laughs> nor <what. laughs> Just saying you want the truth, baby. <laughs> I can't handle the truth. <laughs> So, uh, one other thing that I highlighted, which I thought was, um, pretty insane. God dang it. I keep putting that book down, but I didn't write down what it actually said. (laughs) It's on page 37. 37. We're not going to spend much time on this fact, but it is a fun fact. It says, consider your lungs. Each one of your lungs is about the size of your hand but the interior surface area is the size of a football field. Yeah. Say what? (laughs) So I underlined it because I thought that was pretty insane. That's all I got. Fun fact. You didn't even hear it. 
the I'm gonna say it again because Nash is looking at gay porn on his phone. The ins, the size of your lungs are the size of your hand, each lung. The interior surface area uh, is the size of a football field. Yeah, I knew that part. Didn't know the first part. That's interesting. Oh no, neato burrito. So I kind of tested this theory with your business, Stephen. Indeed. And uh, without getting too uh, much into the weeds on a specific business, but I was really curious if this applies to to our business. So I took yours and put it in a spreadsheet to see if this was, in fact, the case. And, you know, it was directionally true. It wasn't uh, 100% true, but... You know, in your your book of business, uh, the top twenty percent of your customers account for fifty percent of your revenue. So it's not eighty percent, but it's a lot. Yeah. And then the twenty percent of those uh, account for uh, almost almost twenty percent of your entire revenue. So the top four percent of your customers account for uh, about twenty percent of your revenue. So. Jeez. Uh, pretty, it, it's, like I said, it's directionally true, but it, you know, the question I had was, well, could it, could it be true if, if you had a $2,700 espresso machine to sell those people, right? Or if they yeah. knew you did, are there people willing to spend a lot more, but don't know you have that product to sell them? And how can you identify who those people are? That was a kind of a, big aha for me yeah see that's the thing that i get like so how do you identify those people and how do you because he does talk about you can't just it's not saying it's not saying that someone would pay twenty seven hundred dollars for a black cup of coffee plain just cup of coffee it's saying that they would be but they love coffee in general so much that they're willing to spend twenty seven hundred dollars on a product with you that they perceive to be but it's still got to perceive like value so it's not like mm-hmm. you have some, right. you know, crazy person who's like, I just love Starbucks so much. Here's $3,000 for my little Pike's roast coffee. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but it, they would buy that. Exactly. Was that? They're was willing. The movie, the bucket list. Yes. Jack, Jack Nicholson and uh, Morgan Freeman, where he's, he's drinking the coffee and it's like the, the rare, the super rare, whatever, whatever bean that is from a, a, uh, a big cat who shits the beans out. Yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but maybe somebody would spend $2,700 on this ultra rare version yes. of whatever. Yeah. Like because, because of the, you know, the rule. Yeah. The, the rarity of it that, Oh, like they would spend that on coffee rather than, you know, your standard $5 cup of coffee. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's, I think that was something that, I mean, I look, I, I think that it, I mean, everything about this, it's not that it was like wrong or that it's a bad book. It's just, I think for us and our businesses, it's more about where does your business come from? I think would be hold truer to that 80, 20. So if you looked at like for, for me, referrals, probably for you referrals mm-hmm. of your referrals that you receive, I would imagine 80% probably come from 20% or pretty close. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not really like, we don't really have, we're not selling widgets. You know True. I mean? so, so it's yeah. not, like 20% of my clients aren't buying, aren't 80% of our revenue. Cause that's just not shit. 5% of our clients are probably 80% of our revenue. If you look at the people who are buying the two to three, four, five plus million dollar product, like that, that's mm-hmm. a larger chunk. Whereas if I look at it and say, okay, 
I have this person who's referred us 10 people. Okay, well, that was a good chunk of our business last year. How does that shake out? And I think that's more where, like, like I said, we're not selling dollar value widgets, so that's a little bit harder mm-hmm. to look at. Like, okay, how do you break that down to 80-20? Um, I think but it does like, think, you know, like with ours, and um, mine's a little bit more regulated than yours. Um, but still, like... It almost makes me think, though, just like Brian was saying, so is there something that I could provide that either they don't know about? So I always think about, like, life insurance because I have talked to some mm-hmm. some yeah. customers who have no idea, like, what is, you know, ways of looking at life insurance or using life insurance, but they have the money to spend it. Yeah. They, they could do it financially. They have it, but they just have no idea that you could use permanent life insurance to help shelter taxes from taxes or whatever the crap it is, right? Buy a truck like I was going to do. Yeah, you gotta have a can't do it like the one day before, but yes, bitches. So (laughs) you have people like that, and then you have, uh, but then for you, it's like, is there something about like, um, for that top five percent, are they willing to? Would they be interested in some kind of like? Could you create a like a different service, a concierge service? Yeah, you do something like an investment portfolio and start doing like larger commercial transactions through a you know LLC that say like, oh hey, if you want to pool your money, like a uh, what's it a, a RIT. Which you're seeing that was on, mm-hmm. on uh, like Wall Street and all those where you could, you can invest in a basically a, por- a performing portfolio of real estate, which I hate. But like, could you could you treat them um, to like some have them like pay for a class or something that's a super advanced real estate class of yeah. like learning and teaching them things or I don't know. I'm just saying like whatever it is, maybe those people are willing to because it's it can't be the exact same thing, but maybe they're you know they have the funds and they have something that they could, they'd be willing to spend a lot more on. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd give you $500 to come this lunch and learn, this to see this guy speak and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, damn, okay, we could not a, make a not good avenue amount of, of money for that. Yeah, yeah, not an avenue of a business that I anticipated. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just, that's the only thing I could think of with us too is like how could we, is there things that we could provide, you know, to some of these people, kind of like the pumpkin patch. Like is there certain things we could do to cater to them more to get them to spend more money with us. And yeah, yeah, but they don't know that they don't know that we do. They don't exactly. know they can get that from us. Right. Um, so I think my last thing that I'll say is that I had on here was um, we kind of touched on it a little bit anyway, periodically throughout a, this conversation already. But so he talks about your, your personal stuff and your ability. So it says most people are, it talks about your unique selling um, proposition. proposition. So your USP and mm-hmm. says only people are only vaguely aware of their natural personal USP. I think one of the biggest wormholes that people get sucked into, and I would say take people out and put entrepreneurs for sure, get sucked into this. They get so enamored with the romantic version of what somebody else does. They green, the greener pastures that they ignore the unromantic, plain, everyday genius that they themselves possess. And I see this a lot in sales as an entrepreneur of chasing like the new shiny toy and the new sales process or the new mm-hmm. thing when it's like, man, you're, you're kind of killing it or you, you've, you've mastered this one thing. So it kind of combines the two. So if one of like, hey, get really good at one thing that you do, stop chasing all these other things. You know, shiny objects. Shiny objects of the, oh, sil- the the magic bullet. Love the shiny out. object. <laughs> Who doesn't though? Love the shiny object. And then, <laughs> then the other one is part of this is understanding your own 
I'm all, I've, especially as a kid, but even now, I've always been pretty good at like seeing other people and being like, man, that guy's really good at that. Yeah. I'm not good at that, but he's he's way better than me or whatever. And then people be like, well, what are you good at? And and to be very honest, and I would always have a very sarcastic whatever answer or smart ass answer. But in honesty, in my mind, I'm like, I have no idea. No, that's me. Like that's when I said I'm more critical of myself. Like, sure, you'd be like, hey, you're really good at this. I'd be like, I don't are you think sure? So. Yeah, like, <laughs> um, I mean, I'm all right at that. Like, yeah, that that's okay. But yeah, like that's and I think that's gift and a curse there. Like mm-hmm. it keeps you humble and kind of keeps you trying to progress forward and things. But at the same time, it also does hinder you in the sense of like, I know while I was reading this and it's like, Oh, identify that one thing that you're great at. Right. And it was like, Oh, if you don't like what you're doing, just stop and go do something different. Just identify the one thing that you just absolutely love. And I'm like, God, this is that same fucking question that we got in high school. <laughs> of like, if money didn't matter, what would you do? And I'm like, I don't even know. Like, like if if, if I won the lotto, I have my special purpose. Yeah, yeah, like, yes. like, yeah. I mean, if I knew that, then sure, I would just jump right on. It. And that's why I've always hated those like existential questions. Of like, oh, if you just yeah. the one thing that you just are great at that you love more than everything. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's a little right. fairy there, yeah. like. Uh, quit your job and go do this. Yeah. Uh, okay. Like, okay, cool. I've got bills to pay. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I really love golf, but uh, I'm not fucking <laughs> Tiger Woods. So, like, right. <laughs> like, so, yeah, that's where those things do kind of. <sighs> but I do think it's important that you, that you try to figure it out. Yes. And I do yeah. think that you yeah, talk to people sure. and find the ones that you trust and yeah. that, that know you on a professional level or a personal level or, or both. You know, mm-hmm. Just like the email thing, like really trying to genuinely get some people that have seen you in different worlds. Because a lot of the friends that we have have never seen me. Like, I, st- I mean, pretty much everyone that knows me that doesn't know me on the work side is like, so you, you have 10 people that work for you. And I'm like, yes, I do. Yeah, I, like, I do. <laughs> so how, does that, how does that work? Like, are you, how are you, how are they? How is that? And I'm like, about how you think it would. It's not <laughs> not quite that complicated. I pay the money and they, they stick around, I guess. They show up and yeah. do stuff for you. Yeah, they're like, wow, God. And you hit so no huh. and you haven't had that many people quit. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, and I haven't gotten sued. So I but I will say, um, knock on wood, thank you. Uh, I think my dad was was probably the first person who kind of said it. Uh, or sorry, kind of a um, hinted towards it. And then actually Brian on our podcast here was another person in my life. They really kind of pointed it out in a pretty nonchalant way that just seemed where I kind of was a little bit of a light bulb of like, huh? All right. Then my wife's like, yeah, dumbass. I've told you that a thousand times. And I'm like, yeah, but you're my wife. You don't, you don't but you're, you're supposed to be nice. Yeah. yeah you like, have to be. Uh, you've kind of, you've, you've signed on for the long yeah, haul. You've invested deeply. So you're screwed. Um, <laughs> Uh, and that was my, um, like my dad said, he's uh, stuff that he would hint at was like, yeah, I, you know, you're, I think you'll always be good with people. You've always been good at making friends. Like he's like, I've just never mm-hmm. worried about you doing that. And uh, he told me this in college. He came and visited me in my freshman year. I went to a college that none of my friends went to. And he just said, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. You've already made some friends. And he's like, I'm, you've made friends everywhere you've gone your entire life. He's like, I've just never, that's just not a thing I worry about with you. And I, it just, that just caught me off guard. And I didn't, it's something I never mm-hmm. even realized that I was like, or considered to be good at. A strength. Yeah. And I just, I don't I'm consider like, that. Yeah, that's, I guess he's, I guess he's right. I don't you know? think and about that as like a skill set. 
But it is you know, when you're in sales, dumbass. I know that. But like, it, yeah, that is yeah. a weird one to think about. Like, yeah, because I've never thought about like, oh, you have a lot of friends. Like it, that as a strength. Like, oh, mm-hmm. that's something that you could work on or it just, you know, it is what it is. Like, well, I, and you, so what? Well, I would, put, I, I would compare it to this, this other corollary. I mean, this, maybe this may ramble just a little bit. But so Steve, that's, that is, I believe, having worked with Steven for a number of years, his kind of secret sauce, you know, having to, thing. I like that. Thank you. Being forced <laughs> to against yeah. your will. <laughs> but the hardest thing in this business, like many, many businesses is finding good people and keeping good people and being able to take even average people and get extraordinary results. And, and that is one thing that Steven has really excelled at. And, the, the corollary that I was saying it reminds me of is there's this thought that your greatest asset is also your greatest weakness. In other words, uh, like what you're really good at is often the thing that causes you some problems too. And so mm-hmm. Steven's example, he's, he's kind of polarizing, right? You know, there's, yeah. there, there are some people who he rubs the wrong way and, and that's okay because there's enough people that really like him and are, are attracted to that. That'll go to work for him and chew through a wall for him. And that allows him to get really great results. And, you know, the ones that, that he turns off, well, you know, they can go somewhere else. But yeah, uh, it, it, it works, you know, really, really to his advantage and helps him. Perform it's a great lit- litmus test right off the bat. Well, yeah, but it is like it, you get that 20 percent real quick. Mm hmm. <laughs> because yeah, and it's, there's going to be that group that's going to go, ooh, no, he said that, and that's, that, that hurts my feelings. Well, then you're not meant to be around yeah. Stephen. Like, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's, not, that's, that's not for that's you. The 80%, like, that's yeah. the 80%. 80%, yeah. That's the ones that my, my employees are like, oh, yeah. We'll, we'll take care of that one. Yeah. Stay <laughs> like, yeah, no, you'll, we'll, we'll, we'll give them a call. Because that was the nicest thing he says, <laughs> yeah. or that was that was the G-rated version. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> But, yeah, no, I agree. And that's that's where so, – so Brian had kind of pointed this out as I – my first year of agency and stuff. And so it was, and so those two things kind of combined in my brain of like, that is what I am pretty good. Cause man, you get around these, these other business owners or agents or salespeople. I'm not the, like, man, I can't sell like that guy and I can't organize anything. And it took me half a day to build this Excel spreadsheet. And this guy has like 40 of them. I mean, just, there's all these things with all these different strengths. And then it's like, but then you start to learn and get more confident. Once I kind of figured out that that is something I'm good at. And, Y'all, my dad kind of pointed out and Brian kind of married it into like how it applies to me as a, a leader and as mm-hmm. a manager. That's when I started getting a little more confident in, in just the way I, my management style and, and who I am and like how I'm going to hire people and what I say to people when I hire them or interview them. It's just, that's just part of it. And it's, it's definitely helped me to understand or have more confidence in that part of that aspect of like what I'm good at. And it even in when it rubs the wrong people, people the wrong way, because there are times and there's people that it bothers me that it, that I've rubbed them the wrong way for I've offended them because that's usually not my intention. Usually I'm making jokes or whatever, or they think I'm very unprofessional, which is fine, but I've gotten more okay with that and accepting that by being like, yeah, you know what? But this, at the same time, this is why I'm getting better results than you are. So, oh, well, There's a, there's some chapters we kind of glossed over and I think it's because, you know, we're all, we all are basically franchise owners for a parent company. So Mm -hmm. uh, it it limits some of the things we can do in terms of of marketing and that kind of thing. But I think if you're, if you want to buy this, if you're interested in this book and you 
are owning, a, you own a mom and pop shop, right? You own a, a flower shop or uh, you're an accountant or a restaurant owner, you know, something like that. And you're on your own. Some of this marketing stuff is probably really gold in terms of how to leverage Google AdWords and how to, how to be more sophisticated in terms of your customer targeting, uh, customer targeting on the internet with Facebook and Facebook AdWords and those kind of things. And we didn't spend a lot of time there, I think, because of the nature of what we do uh, and the companies that we're associated with. But if you're a mom and pop owner, I think the, the middle half dozen chapters on marketing are probably got a lot of really good nuggets in them. Yeah. And that's kind of, so I've, it was before this, I actually, I talked to the, uh, a lender a while back, went to grab drinks and, and he brought up a quote that I had never really thought about. And it was, it was interesting. And he was like, you know, identify yourself, especially nowadays. And it's that hyper focus. And he goes, you know, what's something that you really, you know, you enjoy a lot or you have expertise in. And he was like, let's okay, we'll use Dallas Fort Worth as, as, as an example. He was like, think about if you were the Game of Thrones realtor in Dallas Fort Worth. Like, yeah, that sounds uber specific, but at the same time, there's eight point what eight point six million people in the DFW Metroplex. So if a hundred thousand people in there are like you know, avid Game of Thrones fans and you're the Game of Thrones realtor or entrance or car dealer or whatever else it is that you're doing. It's like, well, now you have a hundred. He's like, don't think about the 8.6 million. He was like, think about that niche that you could work yourself into that. There's more than enough business in a, even in a little pocket of an area than trying to just broad sell to everybody. Because like at some point in time, everything, ah, well, you know, that person may not be for me or you're going to run into like, Oh, I, I say things that offend certain people like no lean into it embrace your identity or whatever it is that you are good at because you're going to find the people that appreciate that and want to want to surround themselves with that yeah i think that's a great example i thought about that with you know i'm i don't know that much about your business but i have a friend who does it and he sold a house to uh california to texas transplant you know fleeing the high taxes and the liberalism Gross. Uh, to, to go to Texas and, you know, made $2 million of fake equity in his house yeah. <laughs> and pay cash <laughs> for a Texas house. And this guy's like, hey, I think there's more people. like." And so he's reoriented his entire real estate practice to target those people. So he's he's branded himself as the California to Texas, you know, specialist. And so he's just trying to work that niche and it's a higher uh, quality of customer in terms of the size of the house they buy. A lot of them have cash mm-hmm. and uh, he's having some success with it. So I thought that that's kind of a good example of what I think this is talking about in this book. Yeah. And, and don't worry about like, Oh, I need to go get all 8.6 million. Like, no, right. Go get the, go get 50, go yeah. get 50, yeah. like literally 50, you know, transactions in our business if, for a California buyer you're in the top 1% of realtors nationwide. Like, that, yeah. like right. don't even worry about the eight. Like, don't try to do this crazy, like, just figure out what you can specialize in, hone down to that, and yeah, you're going to do way better than somebody just blanket marketing just like every other person out there. Because mm-hmm. that's, there. there's also the other thing, I think that's what people don't fully appreciate about the 80-20, is it's really saying 
lean into whatever it is you specialize in because you're going to find the people that appreciate that and that's going to set you apart from everyone else because everyone else is just trying to broad net a you know market to everyone oh i'm just gonna and, and go ahead you know, I, just, I was saying just catch catch a little bit of this a little bit of that well okay if you just really hone in and become a master of whatever craft it is that you're doing you're gonna find business in that niche like that that will work for you yeah and that, one of the hard parts about that is you know figuring out who you're going to say no to Mm-hmm. And having the discipline yeah. to do it, I think that's hard for any business owner. I, I know it is in, in our business. Uh, you know, I know when when I had my agency, I wouldn't write. A, a, we we had a lot of people with a a competitor because they were military and they wanted to come and write either just their home or just their renter's insurance with my agency, and I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't take them, and it, I drove my team crazy because they wanted to write that business but i'm like we're writing multi-line households we're not interested in and i think it's i can imagine it being the same way in real estate right you got it's hard to say no to a listing but you know once you've identified where you're going to really spend your time then you have to do that right yeah i mean for us right now it's you know it's kind of not so much on the listing side but like our buy side you know hey i hate to say it but like first-time home buyers that market is a beating and it's like if i have a lead that comes in and says hey we're looking for under 250,000, A, that just doesn't really even exist. And B, the amount of time that it's going, you're talking 10, 15, 20 offers. You're working that person for nine months, 12 months. Like it is, yeah, it's so hard. So then you look at something like, oh, I could go serve this California reload person who's coming in with a million dollars equity and they're going to pay cash over list price. They don't care what appraisal comes in at. Yeah, that's a hell of a lot easier buyer to work with than somebody that I'm going to be in the trenches with for, you know, eight months. And then they may get pissed at me halfway through and say, I'm not doing my job because they can't find a house. <laughs> like, but that's never happened to you, right? Never. No, I keep all my clients. <laughs> Man, what a beating of a market right now. God, it's brutal. People don't can't imagine. Everybody says like, oh yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I'm like, no, 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 you don't really like it's, it's. You shut your mouth. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> I appreciate that you think you understand how crazy it is. It is crazier than you think it is crazy right now. Mm. Yeah, I would say, so probably my last point was a little change of pace um, was because they, in the other book, obviously different one than this one, went a little bit more on like the personal side of things. And we touched up briefly on it and it was 80, 20, but on personal enjoyment. <clears throat> and I thought that was really interesting. Um, Ooh. <laughs> he had himself <laughs> muted. I had so muted. He so said it to, before and I looked, I was like, I had to redo right my, <laughs> my noise. <laughs> he had to redo his fake interest in that comment. Um, <laughs> So no, it's, it's, but I thought that was interesting because it's like, oh, you know, if you were to break down the amount of time that you spend on your free time with activities that you enjoy, how many of those activities really like truly yield enjoyment and how many are just spinning wheels? Like, I mean, I, I think we're all guilty of like, you throw Netflix on and you binge some show or you watch a movie and you're like, I, I can tell you right now, I watched one last night. Uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> this year, straight hot garbage. Like I went into it knowing like, okay, this is going to be bad, but it'll be a horror movie and I'm a big horror fan. So I was like, you know, there'll probably be pieces of that I love. 
No, straight garbage, straight trash. Just, Jeez. I left it after an hour and a half going, why did I just waste an hour and a half of my time? And that would be a perfect example of the 80-20 of like, I very well could have watched almost anything. Paint drying would have probably been more, like given me more enjoyment than watching that movie. Or read your 80-20 book. This is where I'm going to act surprised. <laughs> Really? <laughs> really? Bad. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre coming. reboot was a bad movie? You didn't enjoy that <laughs> one? <laughs> but I thought I thought that principle was one that because I think America as a society we don't really put a whole lot of emphasis on like enjoyment of free time because we and even on this podcast we talk so much about business and you know growing our business and personal development and all that that we don't really talk about like okay what is when you have free time, what are you doing that you, not just like you're killing time, what do you really enjoy? Like where you get done with it and you're like, man, I had a great time today. Like this was a lot of fun. Like, what is that? Fishing. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So if you're on your free time. I don't have not? free time. Okay. <laughs> but. I have when, children and a wife. But so hey, but when you have those moments I'm of free time, time, if you're like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, take a run or do whatever. I was like, why not go fishing? Like, mm-hmm. why not do, like, yeah. why not spend the limited amount of free time that you have and really hit that 20% that gives you the most enjoyment out of whatever it is that it is? Well, I think some of it's intentionality. You've got to be, int- and I think that's a great point or something to, to really kind of dive into or think about when you're, and I think it is part of your personal development because I think you can drive yourself insane. At least I can easily drive myself insane if I'm just, if it's all work, no play. You know, you just constantly, there's a lot of things I want to do, but I, I don't do because it's not the right thing to do. Yeah. I, I don't go hunting or fishing or golf or whatever with uh, people because I have, I got to be a father and I got to be a husband. And those things are very important to me. And I don't have enough time to do both at the same time. Yeah. It's, or it's physically impossible to do both at the same time. So, um, there's so when I do to be really intentional about it and with fishing or whatever hobby it is you've got to usually there's some kind of planning there's some kind of deal behind it and I know and I was one of them too that love fishing or hunting or whatever but then we just never do it and then we bitch and moan because we're never doing it and then you talk to guys they're like man I, I mean I'll I'll I talked to a dude was that a was that a chicken in your what what are you doing in there? You just kick a dog? <laughs> no. Strangling a child? <laughs> I think that's my chair. <laughs> what? Okay. That was the last thing on my list of noises right. I would have gone with. Oh, yeah. That was definitely an animal gasping for its last breath, I think. <laughs> but uh, but I definitely think that it's, it's good to identify those things. I think that's a great idea. And then just try and make them happen. Well, and he, he goes into that too of like the eighty twenty of of how that also bleeds into your business life too. Mm-hmm. Of like, yeah, because you talk about burnout. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you love what you do. Like, yes, if you love what you do, you're going to be able to keep doing it for a while. But at some point in time, if you just burn the candle at both ends, there can be any candle left. Like, you, you got to like kind of regenerate there. And I think that is his folk that or what he his point that he was making was, you know be busy, be working, be do, do all that, be, you know, work all the time, whatever. But then understand that if you are going to be doing that and be filling your life with activities that are dollar productive and that you're focusing on for work, then when you do have that free time, make sure you load it with the, don't just sit on the couch and watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 
2022. Like, <laughs> like for me, golf, I love golfing. So like, it is better for me to say like, you know what? I'm going to take a Sunday afternoon and I'm going to go golf. Like mm-hmm. that, that's what I'm going to do. Or I'm go gonna, hit I'm balls. Gonna, at yeah. Night or yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Or I'm going to, I'll take a Monday off. Like, Oh, nope. I got to work all weekend this weekend. I've got showings and I got to take clients out and all that. Okay. Then I'm going to take three hours on a Monday afternoon. I'm going to go golf by myself. Like, and that, that's going to be my, there's my enjoyment. Cause I know that if I, that, if that's all the free time I get, I will pound for pound, get the most enjoyment out of that. And then you get some people that go, oh, we're playing golf on a Tuesday. Must be nice. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. You didn't see the 16 hours that I worked over the weekend. Thank you, jackass. Yeah, slit like, your throat. Yeah, like, what? Uh, you have three seconds to run. <laughs> yeah. You slit your throat. Yeah. I'm guilty of that. It's the opposite way. When I drive by the golf course, I'm like, those fuckers. They're just <laughs> sitting there. Here I am working. They're out there golfing every day. And they might have worked 90 hours. Yeah, and that yeah, that was their their three or four hours they chose <laughs> yeah. to have in their my, their time. In my mind, they're out there <laughs> <Yeah>. every day. <laughs> so yeah, I thought I thought that was a a interesting way of looking at free time because I think that's that's one of those things that we don't as a society put a lot of emphasis on. It's just you know go to work, do whatever you do, get home, veg, go to sleep, eat, sleep, poop, work. Yeah, eat, sleep, poop, work. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right guys well we are right. out of time um brian thank you very much for the book selection it was riveting um <laughs> nash it's your turn to decide what we're going to read oh the pressure is on uh-huh low bar uh, though. i appreciate and, that brian yeah and then uh, <laughs> do my part for the podcast yeah so we'll be back uh guys next the end of uh my god this is the end of february already so yeah end of march and then we will get this thing going end it drop it send it this has been the beyond our service podcast if you like what you heard please subscribe review tell your friends all about us this show can be found everywhere major podcasts are available And if you'd like to reach out, please head over to beyondourservice.com and let us know what you think or find out how you can be a part of the show. See you next time.